uh, we're beginning a new series, and we're calling it Jesus Is, and then kind of like a, a, a blank or like a fill in the blank or, a, you know, every week uh, picking out a certain aspect or characteristic or revelation of who Jesus is, and primarily getting that through the different encounters that Jesus had with people. And what we find when Jesus has these encounters with, with, uh, with common people and everyday people, and they're recorded in the scriptures, is every time he has an encounter with someone, he reveals something about his, his unique character, his goodness, and, uh, and who he is. And so we thought we would look at some of those things and draw some of those things out. Jesus is, is our healer. He's a friend of sinners. He's God of the future. He's the way, the truth, the life. He's, he's God of the marginalized. And all these are, are things that we'll look at over the, over the coming weeks. And a lot of our theology is really formed by, by looking how he interacted with, with people in these kinds of encounters. And so we're going to take a look at, uh, at John 4 today. John 4 records the story of Jesus and the Samaritan woman at Jacob's well. And it's actually the longest one-on-one -on -one conversation that uh, Jesus has with someone that's recorded in the scriptures. And the story of Jesus and the woman at the well serves as an example of how the good news, how the, how the gospel can reach across all kinds of social barriers and all kinds of obstacles, and that Christ can, he can, he can find people, sometimes the ones that we think are the furthest away. Sometimes when we think that there's, there's no way they could ever find Christ or open their heart to him, and yet somehow Jesus lands in their life. And this is a great story that, that helps us understand that. And so John 4, this, it, we can't read the whole passage, we can't even take the whole conversation, but I want to just give you the beginning to, to give us some context. Uh, talking about Jesus, it says, eventually he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside uh, the well about noontime. And soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. And he was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. And the woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. And she said to Jesus, you are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? And as the discourse goes on, as the narrative goes on, we find that Jesus is, you know, he talks about living water and eternal life and all kinds of, of, of you know, revelation of who he is. And he brings this into this lady's life. But what happens in this story is right from the very beginning is Jesus breaks all kinds of rules and social protocols when he seeks out this woman. And this is something that I think is, is it's worthwhile for us to look at and to pay attention to. Jesus, uh, he, he, as a Jew, uh, Jews are not supposed to talk to Samaritans. It was kind of a, a social code. They, they, were, they just didn't do it. And Jesus, being a Jew, a, a noticeable Jew, and how he was dressed and everything about him, he uh, reaches out and talks to this Samaritan. So he, he broke that social rule. Uh, men are not supposed to talk to women without their husbands present, especially uh, alone. So, uh, you know, a, a man on his own talking to a woman on her own uh, was forbidden. And rabbis, so Jesus being known as a, as a rabbi, uh, are, are not supposed to associate with people of questionable character, so uh, lest their, their kind of reputation and their leadership would be called into question. And many scholars believe that the woman at the well was of uh, what they would call questionable character. Uh, in this culture, the women would always go to the well together in a group, and they would always go at, uh, at the beginning of the day, 
at, at dawn or they would go at, at uh, dusk, at the end of the day. And they would always be together in a group. And the only people, the only women who would not go to the well during those, those times, um, it's because they were forbidden or they were outcasts from that regular social construct. And so this lady happens to come to the well alone, and she comes to the well to get her water at midday sun, at noontime, when the sun is at its peak, when it's at the hottest. Everybody else is off in the shade, and she comes to carry her water alone. And so what scholars say is that this, this particular woman, um, it, it's evidence that she did not fit into, for whatever reason, that she was labeled an outcast. She was labeled, uh, you know, kind of undesirable. And Jesus takes time to reach out to her. He takes time to call her in, to welcome her into his life. And he crosses all kinds of barriers and all kinds of social taboos. And this is a person that was likely, most likely, a little bit ostracized and, and kind of pushed out of the normal people. And if you think about it, Jesus spent the majority of his time ministering to the people that everyone else rejected. Have you ever thought about all the people that, that, that engage Christ in his, in his ministry? All of the people that he, that he spends time with, that he talks to, that he heals, that he, 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 he teaches, that he interacts with? He took time for tax collectors, prostitutes, lepers, he showed love and grace to the poor, the crippled, the sick people that everyone else rejected. Jesus is really good at loving the forgotten and marginalized. And he actually made a bit of a specialty out of it. Or, or that's probably more of a, a current tense, not a, not a past tense. He actually makes a specialty out of it out of loving the, the, the forgotten and the marginalized and, and the people that uh, sometimes are hard or difficult or, or, or they're just different than us. And the truth is, is that Jesus is way better at this than I am. And I would probably venture a guess that he's way better at it than, than you are. Last week when all of you were here in church enjoying uh, you know, time together and good coffee, uh, I was in California for a few days in the Napa Valley, and I had a little bit of a getaway. My brother won a, won a vacation for two, left his wife at home and took me instead. <laughs> Man, I love that guy. And, um, you know, we got there, and it was hot and sunny. It was, it was so beautiful. Um, we, we picked up our car rental from the airport, and they upgraded us to an Audi. And I just knew in that moment that God loves me so much. <laughs> And we put the sunroof back and we drove out into the Napa Valley and I just knew there was, it was gonna be a great couple of days. Uh, I love the art and culture in Napa. I take my camera and get great shots and put together some you know, photo albums and things when we go there. Uh, the countryside is beautiful. The design and architecture of all the wineries and all the places is amazing. Uh, great food and the restaurants there. Uh, I've heard that the wine is, is pretty good in Napa. I can't comment on that in a sermon, uh, lest the POC is uh, listening, and it go, this sermon goes on the internet in a couple of hours, and so I, I couldn't say one way or another, but um, I was, I was uh, uh, really looking forward to spending some time there and just getting a couple of days off. And uh, I was trying my best to ignore all the emails and the text messages and the Facebook messages and things from all of uh, my, my parishioners, from all of you lovely people back home. And uh, the, the truth is, I, I just didn't want to be a pastor when I was there. I just wanted to be a regular guy. I just wanted to escape and not have to worry about uh, all the other things that I, I normally 
try to worry about and, and take on and fix and all those kinds of things. And um, one afternoon when we were there, we were at this winery checking out their, their beautiful courtyard and gardens, and it was like fountains everywhere, and like foliage and flowers and palm trees and the garden pathways. It was beautiful. It was amazing. And uh, it was like everything that you could see, everywhere you would look, it was worthy of a postcard. And uh, I was walking around the, the, the grounds, taking pictures between sips of my sparkling apple juice, when um, I noticed a young lady in distress. Not, not medical distress, but uh, for sure emotional distress. And she had gone over this, 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 this winery, this, all these gardens and this courtyards and this big kind of wall around it. And um, she had gone over to the side and she was leaning into the wall like, and she was sobbing and crying and shaking and you could tell she was in, in quite a lot of emotional distress. And I don't know how long she had been there, but others were kind of pointing at her and whispering and talking, and some of them were laughing. And I know that where, where she was and, and other like, groups of people had come by, so I know other people had, had seen her and maybe even walked right by her. And uh, when I saw her there, I felt like I should go over to her and see if she was all right. And, uh, and I, I stalled out. And one of the staff saw her and, and they walked over to her and uh, they took her to a table and, and, and sat her down. And when, when they took her over, um, she was a little bit wobbly on her feet. So my, my assumption was that uh, too much wine had probably made a, a, a bad situation worse, probably amplified the problem. And as she sat there at the table sobbing, um, I did what a lot of us would probably do. I, I, I played it safe and I talked myself out of going over to her. I thought, you know what, she'll probably think I'm a creep. Uh, she's probably just had too much to drink. Uh, I, I told myself the lady who worked there would, is better at, you know, she's more in a place. Who, who was I to insert myself into this story? They, it, they should do it. It should be their, their problem. And uh, I was busy and I had a schedule to keep. And I had lots of reasons not to go talk to her. And, uh, and I confess to you that I left with her sitting alone at that table crying. And everyone else sitting in the courtyard, visiting and, and, and you know, touring around and sitting at their, their little tables and everybody else just sat there and ignored her. And I left and she just continued to sit there with tears in her eyes and her hands kind of crumpled up over her, her face as she cried. And um, as I got into the car to continue on my day, I knew that I had missed it. I, I I had this one prevailing thought. Jesus would have gone over to her. You know what? It's the only thing that I can see Jesus doing in that moment. If he saw her there in her brokenness, I don't think it would have mattered what his schedule was or what others would have thought. I don't think it would have mattered if it was a real serious thing or maybe, maybe she was on Instagram and saw that her boyfriend liked a prettier girl's selfie. Maybe it wasn't even a big, but something broke her. Something had, had wrecked her heart in that moment. And I don't think that any of, of the other things would have mattered because the Jesus I know, the Jesus I see in scripture, he would have gone over to her and sat with her. 
Jesus would not see someone in distress and ignore them because it was an inconvenience to his day. And the truth is, you and I, as the followers of Christ, we are carriers of Jesus in this world. And the way Jesus goes over to somebody and sits with them to see if they're okay is through us when we do it. But as I sat there in the car thinking about that opportunity that I missed, and I, I didn't go and do it. I missed that. And it just hit me like a kick to the chest. It was like, oh, man, ah. Jesus always went to the hurting. He always went to the outcast. He always went to the needy. It didn't matter the reasons and all the background stuff. He just was present in their lives. And how many times do we sense someone is in pain, someone needs help, someone needs encouragement or a hug or a thoughtful word and we don't do it? We're afraid. We play it safe. We talk ourselves out of it. It's an inconvenience. We don't have time to get involved. I don't know exactly how or why, but God designed things, and this is, this is the way God made it. God designed things so that the church serves as his, as his presence in the world. We are the primary conduit of God's presence in our world. Sure, God's presence is, you know, in everything. It's in creation. It's through the Holy Spirit. But as we are gathered together as the church, so even the Spirit is with us and in our midst, and Jesus is with us. And, and the, the church is the primary carrier of God's presence. That's you and I. That's, that's the believers that, that follow him is the way. And 1 Peter 2.9 says this. says, you are a chosen people. You, that's you and me, it's all of us, are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. And as a result, check this out, you can show others the goodness of God. For he called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. You see, we're all a royal priesthood. Even though I'm a pastor on a vacation in Napa, trying not to be a pastor for a couple of days, that doesn't matter. Because I have to be a part of the priesthood of God's family everywhere, every day, whatever I'm doing. I can't escape that. I can't turn that one off. I can't walk away from that one. And all of us are a royal priesthood. We are all called so that we can show others the goodness of God. It's part of our calling as followers of Jesus. And just as Jesus reached out to the Samaritan woman, he calls us to do the same to those in our world. And so how do we reach out with the love of Jesus? How do we how do, we do this? And remember, when, when Jesus is doing these encounters, when he's interacting with people and these stories are recorded in Scripture, they're recorded to show us things, to, so we learn some things, so we see some things. And, and there's a couple of things I wanted to pull out from this story. Uh, just a couple of things. One is that um, when we want to reach out to people in the love of Jesus, that we can do that when we rely on the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit is given to the church to help and empower us in our calling to reach out with the good news. And the thing is, is that even Jesus uses the gifts of the Spirit in his ministry. And even in this encounter, Jesus uses the gifts of the Spirit. In 1 Corinthians 12, 4, 7, 
Check this out. It says, there are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same spirit is the source of them all. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but it is the same God who does the work in all of us. In verse seven, a spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. To one person, the spirit gives the ability to give wise advice. And to another, the same spirit gives a message of special knowledge. The list goes on and gives us all kinds of different categories. And this is not a sermon on spiritual gifts, so we're gonna stop there. But in, in that verse, it says, one of the gifts is, is um, a message of special knowledge. This is when God deposits a specific truth in your heart that helps you minister to someone else. And do you know, um, this is what happens to Jesus in this story. In this story, Jesus confronts this woman. He says, why don't you ask your husband, what does he say, and, 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 and where's your husband? And she says, well, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, ah, that's true. And he goes on to explain and reveal that, that she's had numerous husbands, and the man that she's with is not even her husband now. And, and this woman is faced with this disconnect in her life. And so Jesus, through this special word of knowledge, he, he receives and he reveals to her and he ministers out of the power of the Holy Spirit to bring an encounter of God into this lady's life. And you know, this word of knowledge is not given as ammunition. Sometimes we think that a word of knowledge or a prophetic word or something we hear from God is used kind of like a bullet in a gun or it's something that we, can, we use to condemn somebody or we can, we can bring judgment into their life. It's not about holding control or manipulation over them. Remember that Jesus loves the person and he wants to extend his grace and his forgiveness over that life. When you receive a word, when you receive something that you think is from God for somebody else, you have to ask yourself, if I share this over them, is it going to help bring them closer to Christ? Are they going to encounter the loving, forgiving grace of Jesus by sharing this word with them? And you know, sometimes they're not even always supposed to be shared. Sometimes it's an insight and it's, a, it's wisdom for you and how you can counsel and how you can interact and how you can encourage, how you can pray for somebody and, and, and the right time can, can come when you can share something. But we do not share out of judgment and condemnation. We share out of hopefully somebody finding Christ and finding Jesus in a more meaningful way. And that's exactly what Jesus does in this exchange and it's through these words, when Jesus gives this word of wisdom, this, this, this special understanding in this situation, that this lady's eyes are opened. And at first she thinks, wow, this man, he could be a prophet. And as she continues to talk with him more, what happens is by the end of the story, where do we find this woman? We find this woman back in her village, gathering everybody up, saying, come, I have found the Messiah. And in the exchange and saying living water and eternal life. And she says, Jesus, I want this water. I want this. She finds Christ. She finds eternal life. There's forgiveness and there's grace. And she gathers everybody up. She says, I have found the Messiah. And it came through Jesus in ministry with the Holy Spirit, in partnership with the Holy Spirit. And I say that because it's very important for us to look for the, look for the, the leading and the prompting of the Holy Spirit. 
and to lean into that. Whenever we feel that leading, whenever we feel that prompting, to step into that, because that means God is already working, God is already doing something. He's already making a way. And the last thing that I see, uh, other than the, the, the rely on the power of the Holy Spirit, is to extend the same grace and forgiveness of Jesus that we receive from him. I love that Jesus does not heap more shame on this woman. This, Jesus is so good at this. Remember the story of um, the, the, the woman caught in adultery and everybody wants to stone her and Jesus comes and does this wonderful teaching and, and in the end Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. Just go and sin no more. Jesus is so good. It's always his response. His response is always, neither do I condemn you. Find forgiveness, find grace, find mercy. He doesn't condemn the Samaritan woman. Instead, he offers her eternal life. And you and I have something amazing to offer the world, this unconditional forgiveness of Jesus. It is like the greatest gold that we can have. And it occurred to me as I was meditating on this sermon that, that we can either judge someone, we can sit and we can, we can kind of stay back and we can look at them, we can judge them, we can find out all the reasons why they're not gonna find Christ and why it's their own fault or you know, whatever it is, and we, we can sit in judgment. Or we can extend them forgiveness and grace. But we can't really do both. We, we have to be one or the other. It's very hard to go over to someone. It's very hard in our life to extend the mercy and the forgiveness and the love and the grace of Jesus into somebody's life when we're, we're in judgment over them. And so we see people with the same grace and forgiveness that Christ gave us, the same opportunities, the same potential. Jesus modeled that so well to extend grace and forgiveness to others. And I think that that's what Jesus does in this story. He doesn't condemn her. He helps her find eternal life. And it's a great story. I'm gonna get the band to come and uh, we're gonna get ready to wrap up this morning. This morning we're gonna do communion together. We haven't done communion for a little while and uh, I thought this would be a good way for us to begin our series of Jesus by remembering the cross of Christ. Our community manifesto that you see on the wall in the coffee shop, it, it, it kind of is a, it's, it's, the, it's really the cross. Everyone's welcome. Oh, what's perfect. And uh, anything's possible. When it comes to the cross of Christ, everyone is welcome. Everyone is invited to receive the forgiveness of Jesus. And none of us are perfect. We're all sinners in need of Jesus' love and forgiveness. And all things are possible. Jesus creates a new life for us. We use the term born again, a restart, a reboot. It's a second chance or a third chance or even a fourth chance or maybe it's 70 times seven chances that in Christ there is new life and there is endless hope and endless possibility and the more we center ourselves along Christ, the more we can experience the hope that comes through the cross and through his forgiveness. And I don't know what you're facing, but I do know that 
you have a lot of hope if you face it with Jesus. And so this morning, we're gonna have the communion emblems be, be passed out and be distributed, and um, they're, they're gonna come, and as we, we pass them around, the band is gonna lead us in a little bit of worship and kind of reflection. And um, you, can, you can grab the cracker and the grape juice and hold on to it. We'll all take it together. And the requirement that we have for participating in communion at the house is that you're uh, a believer in Jesus. That's, that's the requirement. You don't have to be a member of the church or anything like that. You can just take it. And you can pass it along. You can, you can go ahead and start. We'll, do, we'll start distributing it and uh, making our way. And we'll, we'll, we'll uh, let it kind of weave its way. You can help us out with that. And you can just hold on to it. And you know, even this morning, even this morning, you can begin that. Maybe you haven't made that commitment or that invitation and accepted that invitation to Jesus. You could even do that through partaking of communion today. You can participate in that and say, Jesus, I want to participate in your death and your resurrection and your new life. Let's worship together as we prepare our hearts to take communion together.